What's good, Sound Gang? Once again, I am so happy to be joined by you for another installment of Sound Perspective, where I, your host, Alfred Faber, talk to people a lot more talented than me about how they work with sight and sound. Hope you've listened to episode two, my interview with Dean Hurley, because today's episode could be thought of as not a sequel, but maybe part two of a series. I talked to Dean about his participation in the Masters of Modern Sound event at the Art Gallery of New South Wales, where he and other sound artists and musicians created works in response to artworks by some amazing modern artists like Picasso, Kandinsky, and Monet. The event was a couple of weeks ago now, and let me tell you, it was a pretty phenomenal experience. Some gorgeous music by a really varied group of musicians in such an inspiring space It completely changed the way you viewed these artworks. When I found out that one of the musicians performing was a producer called Corinne, whose work I was already familiar with, I knew I just had to have a chat with some more people involved in this. So once again, down I went to the Art Gallery of New South Wales to talk to Becky Sweet Chen, Casey Hartnett and Corinne, a trio of musicians and sound designers from Melbourne, who not only have very successful solo careers, but who've worked together for a while now on various projects. They not only performed at the event itself, but they also composed music for an audiovisual guide that will accompany the exhibition itself through its whole run. You'll hear some tunes by all of them by the end of the episode, but before we jump into the interview itself, I'd like to play this track by Corinne. I saw her at a gig in, I think, 2016 in Sydney. Uh, She was performing her solo music on keyboard, and it was this bizarre moment in a club where someone was dropping absolute bangers on the dance floor, but everyone was just standing perfectly still, staring at the stage because, like, her technical proficiency on the keyboard was so captivating, and it seemed that kind of traditional skill in a space where people are usually doing something like DJing was something really cool. Anyway, so this is Hydrate from her EP, Wave Systems.
I'm here with Corinne, Becky Sui-Chen, and Casey Hartnett. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey. Hey, guys. So, um, I'd love to hear a bit from you individually first. Uh, so, Becky, can you tell me a bit sure. about your background in music? Yeah. Who are you? Where are you from? Oh, what? okay. Uh, I grew up in Sydney originally, and I... Um, I've been making music since like being a teenager, but I went to uni and did film, cinema, and creative writing at UTS in Sydney. And um, and then I was like busting to get out and make my own EP. So I saved up heaps of money and just like recorded in a studio in 2007. And that was my first kind of experience of produ like producing music and whatnot. So since then, I've been pretty much making music since then. Um, but my professional kind of and creative practice has gone on various kind of paths, kind of a bit of like multimedia kind of production always in the background. And then that's feeding into my music practice. And I've really been interested in filmmaking the whole way through, but I try to feed that into the, my approach to um, having a more conceptual approach to music, as well as it being just like also really fun and emotionally expressive. But, I try to deepen the world with visuals and video. Cool. Yeah. Was there anything that led from a film degree to pursuing music as a career? I, I think I had so many dream jobs, but one of them was like music supervisor for film. I always wanted to select the music for film. And then I was just like a reluctant musician. I'm like, well, I guess I can kind of sing and write songs. And I never felt quite... I feel like I'm always role playing when I'm a front person in a band, but I kind of play with that, like by having other characters and whatnot. Um, yeah, I don't know, it feels pretty natural. It's like all narrative based audio storytelling. Um, and I would still like to make a film one day. That's like a, I just, I was just too embarrassed to ever say that because it's such a collaborative thing that you really need like a whole team of people you don't always but you you generally need a lot of people involved and money to finance it so I was like not wanting to get overly ambitious so I was like music albums I can foreseeably like save up money and do that and keep doing that for my whole I can't see that stopping like in my in my lifetime that I would be able to just find um a good rhythm with that kind of uh that kind of framework of working so that's why I kind of stuck with music but I, I think I'm just a bit more of a musician realizing that in my 30s like maybe I'm just a musician and that's fine but um yeah I, I DJ a bit and I've become a bit more of like a like a record person like a record collector and stuff I say that quietly because it's kind of like I don't want to <laughs> look I don't yeah but and I do like I do really like DJing like it's really fun but don't like to do it for work I'm very protective of what I do for work because I just really enjoy DJing when I have the opportunity and I, I when I did a bar gig it was good to get my skills happening but I started to like loathe some of the music that I used to love so just, just and all this, heard it too much <laughs> heard it too much I just like need oh this track would work really well right now but don't want to hear that track right now so you know but I know it would work well but I really don't want to play it oh god I'm playing it here I am playing this track again what am I doing yeah so it's kind of the same thing as like if you were to play it on a tour and you're a band and you play the same songs every night and you're like oh everyone's getting excited because they're about to do the big drop oh here it comes 
I'm sounding so cynical right now, but that's because I did tour with like a party band and I got very tired of being like the party band yeah. like front person. Yeah. I was like, I just want to read a book right now and all of you want to party. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. Do you realize that's on record now? <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's common knowledge that I was like always reading and... Yeah, I would be like that too. <laughs> Get up and, and then I'd just transform. But it was really fun because sometimes it was like, conserving energy and then I so I have energy to just give the performance my all mm. Mm. but um, yeah I think yeah my trajectory is still kind of the same as it's funny like although I studied so long ago my trajectory is still the same like trying to do more interesting kind of storytelling platforms and now it's in art galleries doing audio experiences and making music for that but it's still about kind of connecting people mm. to some kind of um yeah, immersive experience or multi-layered kind of experience. Mm. But yeah, I still love film. Mm. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, Corinne, I've actually known your work for a while now. I <laughs> went to one of your concerts in like 2016 or something in yep. Sydney. I can't remember what pub it was at, but... Civic Underground? Or... It might have been. Is that a launch? Been. I think uh... Slim Set was playing. Ah. I don't know. Can't remember. <laughs> anyway, so I know a bit about you already. You uh, studied composition, did you? Or uh, no, classical? actually, I studied uh, classical piano at the oh, CineCon. Right. right. Um, so I was, I was living in Sydney previously for seven years, and then I yeah. moved to Melbourne yeah. about three years ago. Um, yeah, and I've been doing my own solo project for about Four, four years, four and a half years, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you move from the classical piano to that the electronic music that you have today? Yeah, well, I, um, so I studied, yeah, I studied classical piano and I kind of left that education without really wanting to go further into that world. Um, yeah, because I think you have to have like really intense dedication, you know, wanting to practice eight hours a day and do the whole concert pianist thing. So um, I kind of took a, a break from music after I studied and then I kind of slowly came back into music because I'd been part of a few bands and then, um, yeah, I just started to like tinker around with like synth-based music and then, mm. um, yeah, I found that like I really gravitated towards just like producing music just by myself and like performing it. So, um, yeah, I started um yeah, just performing at a few venues in Sydney. The music that I made initially was actually very ambient based. Like I, I released like an, uh, an EP in 2014 called Deluge. Oh, okay. And I played in, um, uh, it's called Alaska Projects in right. Sydney. It's like a car park. That was, like, that was my first okay. gig. And actually like half the EP was like piano and the other half was like really glitchy pop ambient kind of stuff. I'm not sure, it, I, don't think, I don't think it was like produced that well, but yeah, it's kind of, since then, like, I think it's evolved a bit more and it's, like, a lot more electronic-based mm. and um, probably maybe not as relaxing sounding <laughs> as the earliest <laughs> uh, But then, yeah, since I started collaborating with, collaborating with Casey and um, Becky on this commissioned work, um, yeah, it's been interesting sort of, like, doing more, like, piano-based piano, piano -based composition mm. and sort of modern classical sort of going into that modern classical world a yeah. little bit it's yeah. been yeah it's been really really good cool uh casey uh you've i saw that you've worked in all kinds of sound 
like uh, you've played in other bands yeah. and you produce music as well and you've yeah. done some music for theatre and film? Yeah, a little, yeah. Um, I, I grew up in uh, playing music in, in Geelong uh, and the, the music scene uh, down there, uh, I guess through sort of the um, 2015 to uh, 2010 sort of time period was really healthy. Um, a lot of punk bands and yeah, I guess it was sort of hinged on a, a venue called the National Hotel and uh, a lot of punk and garage sort of music uh, that just, uh, yeah, bred a kind of culture of DIY um, practice and um, yeah, sort of grew up playing playing in and around that scene and, and learning the ropes of um, uh, recording, um, just really out of necessity to try and document um, the, the bands that I was playing in and, and friends bands. Uh, and then I actually moved up to Melbourne and started a film and television course uh, and got sort of partway through that um, uh, and then was simultaneously recording a record with uh, another engineer and producer, uh, Nick Huggins, uh, who yeah really motivated me to, I think, kind of switch uh, lanes and, and pursue uh, that more seriously and uh, went to RMIT and did the sound art course when that was running down there um, and uh, from that yeah it's really just been a kind of multi-faceted sort of um, yeah world of sound related stuff um, recording producing and a little composition uh, yeah cool so you've found it fairly easy Easy. Like, would you say you have any forte? Um, oh, I I really love, I do love recording uh, and working with microphones. I find um, I feel more comfortable uh, in that in that role, um, at least when it comes to collaborating with other people. Uh, I think like, yeah, maybe the mixing. Uh, side of things I can get a little uncertain at least w when it's not my own material um, yeah just unsure sometimes like working on other people's stuff um, yeah I think like tracking is perhaps a thing that I I really enjoy yeah mm. Casey's a very positive. patient person yeah, so he he's very patient. yeah I, <laughs> I don't have the patience to to record other people how long <laughs> have you guys been working together then since like, six maybe? months eight months yeah. well we've uh Casey and I met in March um Casey was doing like a sound edit of a film score for Sans Soleil Chris Marker film that I was in my Sui Chen band was doing like a my, my prior Sui Chen band um, was doing a live perform live score or two, um, and that's how we met. That was like a hear my eyes kind of project in March, and then around mid year, I needed. I was in my other job. I work for a company called Art Processes, and I'm like a digital producer there but my main thing that I'm producing is like audio experiences for galleries like Art Gallery of New South Wales so I've been talking to Art Gallery of New South Wales for like since October 2017 um, 
with someone called Francesca Ford who works here and kind of being like, how about we do music in the gallery? Like, you know, just floating that idea until they, they really wanted music, but we had to kind of do the audience research and kind of rationalise that it was actually going to satisfy the many needs that visitors have when they come here. So it got to the point where we had a concept where we could do a musical layer and then also that curatorial kind of narration. And it was like that kind of film background really kind of helps with that with, with that kind of approach. Um, so yeah, we pitched that and that got to the point where they were like, who are gonna, who's gonna make the music? And then she's like, we've got a separate budget for it. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, here's a brief, you know, I wrote a brief. And I kind of started to write Corinne into the brief, even though we knew each other through a good mutual friend. We didn't really work together before, but I just had a feeling like, I'm like, yeah, I've seen her play. She'll be able to do this. <laughs> like she's got the chops to do, like to interpret this brief. I know yeah. I could, I had that confidence. And then I knew that Casey had the kind of more artistic sensibility of an engineer to kind of like make it, to feed into that. But I, I was just seeing myself as more like producer like directing it. Mm. I'm not gonna, I wasn't thinking I would collaborate because I have this other role on the project. But um, it just kind of, we got together and then we had, you know, we had these defined kind of roles, but then I think you were like, well, maybe we should just kind of bring some instruments and we just have a jam have a jam, <laughs> and see how that sounds. And we'd not really like done that at all together before. But um, in those first couple of days that we had planned, it, it just sounded, it came quite naturally and it felt, yeah, it felt quite natural. It didn't feel forced. So I think that's how we're like, oh, this is cool. So we kind of kept doing that and responding the first project that we worked on was for the John Russell exhibition here at Art Gallery of New South Wales. It was an impressionist exhibition, so it was kind of nice. It had like one main theme, so we could really like dive in and explore that. Um, we kind of learned about his life from the cu curator, and kind of tried to like emulate that through music, like different, like scoring parts of the exhibition, just being like how can we evoke this kind of mood? Oh, this is when he falls in love. Romance. Kind of yeah, like <laughs> oh, this mm. is like a pastoral scene. Let's do some like Cynthia 80s reference to pastoral yeah. scenes from that, you know, like, just like ref referencing that kind of stuff. And, and we all had different, slightly different influences to bring to the table, I think, which is really good. Um, so it started off more kind of, started off as you trying to bring some different people, yeah. commission people, but did it kind of end up more of a group project? It yeah. did, yeah. yeah, which is great. I think yeah. that's, I mean, collaborations can go really badly. So it's kind of cool going into it, not having that expectation that it was going to be, you know, this this trio kind of thing. But, um, yeah, it was more like I was thinking of, of commissioning stuff. But um, since then we've done other projects because we were working together on, on the art gallery uh, the next exhibition they wanted us to, to do it again they really liked the music so so masters of modern art which is why we're in sydney to perform that score live um that's the second exhibition that we did but in between then we did another hear my eyes film project together which was for drive um we we read did. I think I tapped out a little bit of moments. You guys really worked really a lot together on that. Yeah, so Cliff Martinez did the score for the drive film and yeah. so here my eyes they 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 do like um like live composition, like film mm. screenings with live composition. Oh uh, right, right, right. So um they had like a, a live um, band doing covers of like, you know, the pop songs, but then they got us to do like the kind of ambient 
interlude kind of stuff in between for background. drive for drive, yeah, the drive. Ryan as in Reynolds. Ryan Gosling yeah, ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. but cool. yeah it was interesting like I liked the role we had because it was a bit more I think we, we had a bit more room to like make mm. it a bit more experimental yeah whereas if we were just doing the covers it'd mm. just be very like did you like I hadn't even heard of this did you like rescore it or um, was it covers uh, it was Kind of a blend. So the the project, uh, how's it? So uh, my my role for Hear My Eyes is to try and remove as much of the original score as possible. Um, right, you don't experience. get the you don't get the stems, do you? You don't no, get a I think maybe for for drive, like we would have a, a five point one mix and. Um, it's sometimes the case that uh, a lot of the dialogue and, and sort of key sound design is just in that center channel um, with a score sort of in the left and right. So it's, it's possible to pull out uh, all of the score in some places and, and, and keep the uh, kind of I mean, core sound design and uh, dialogue. Uh, and it was a bit of a, a mixture for Drive. Um, we ended up with a with a film to, uh, or a version of the film to work with where, um, at least for the, the parts that we were uh, rescoring, where, where a lot of it was pretty clean and we could uh, play whatever we wanted and, mm. and create an entirely new uh, sound for it. Um, then there was a, a few sections where there was some existing uh, score that we had to work alongside and embellish mm. and, and yeah, kind of fit with. Yeah. Wow. Mm. That's really cool. That it's, I find it interesting you guys were brought to this project because it seems you all have a long history with combining music to visuals in a non-conventional mm. way, I yeah. guess. Can you tell me a bit about uh, art processes? Oh, yeah. Like the, um, company the company and your role there? Yeah. yeah. Um, it started off pretty small, but um, it's growing now. And it started off David Walsh, who owns Mona, the Museum of Old New Art in Tasmania. Um, was working with a, a few people and three three people in or actually two people in different capacities just to help build the digital background layer of of his art gallery he didn't want to have wall labels so he just wanted to find a way to communicate the information about artworks to people without um, them needing to go to a wall label so that was the main starting point of our processes and the Nick Wyatt and Tony Holzner we're working with him and they kind of formed up processes out of doing that project which is called the O it's the mobile device that you get when you go to Mona you walk around and it's like the interpretive guide um and times have changed now like the there's a lot more mobile technology in museums and art galleries so um our process has been kind of servicing the arts and cultural sector since then but it's that kind of small company that usually the projects I would be my interpretation of the company is that they generally have some kind of integrity to them about why the technology should exist in the space, like not just so is it, there for... Is it the kind of... Do you guys do many of those audio guides you get that just kind of run you through a gallery? Like Not so much, probably. Their, their first kind of um, goal was they, they would try and, like, do a different kind of audio guide. Mm, like, mm. so something that was a bit more... Um, so it, it has location awareness. So using Bluetooth, right. it will know where the visitor is in the space mm. and then we have to give them, yeah. like, 
automatically just give them information. Um, but yeah, it just depends on what institution you're working with. Like every every place has different needs and different kind of slightly different demographics. So sometimes super automatic stuff that's really like cutting edge might not actually work for that audience, might not need to be that clever. Um, or sometimes the really clever stuff is just when it's really simple and it just like works really well. Um, so yeah, I've been a producer there for about four years and um, as, yeah, as I start working with places like the Art Gallery of New South Wales, it's like a really nice, really nice projects that I get to work on. Um, but there, are, there is a, like other kind of work going on with like overseas kind of clients that, that, that kind of have a bit more of a technological need, less so the kind of creative mm. content layer. So I'm probably less involved in those ones because I'm, I'm not like a developer or programmer, but um, yeah, started off small, getting bigger, and we work with mainly uh, museums and galleries at the moment. So yeah, and I think we're, we're trialing. We did a we did an exhibition at Melbourne Uni called Awaken that was um, returning Indigenous cultural material back to country. Well, that's what it that's what it was aiming to do by three D really high res scans um, of of some of the objects. And then you can view them with an iPad and augmented reality really up close and get in and around them in a way that you can't if they're in the, the case. And then also a virtual reality experience that you, you put on like VR goggles and you're taken to the location of the object in, in a 360 kind of panorama. So you, you can kind of actually see these indigenous cultural material in its actual, where, where, where it kind of belongs. Mm. Um, poses the question though of like the objects are still not actually getting re- repatriated, but um, it's, so we're starting to do more things like that with trying to figure out how to use augmented reality and virtual reality in a meaningful way because it can be really like slapdash and quite gimmicky if, or just like, what's the point? Cool, I am in another location now. <laughs> uh, I feel kind of sick and it's kind of glitchy and it's yeah. low res and it, I would just rather see it with my own eyes. So, you know, like you have to really have a real perp real purpose to why you're actually using that technology, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a different... Uh way of working when writing music for visuals as opposed to just listening? Um, yeah, I think so. Like when we approached um, with our last project um, for the Hermitage, um, I think we, yeah, I, I feel like our approach to composition has been pretty uh, minimalistic and also, I guess, um, just thinking about how the music is going to function in this space. So I, th- I think we were thinking more about like the functionality of the music and, you know, really trying to think of how people will experience the music while they're looking at the art. Um, yeah, I guess it, it does give it like the music a different dimension and, and also vice versa. So um, yeah, I think when we were, when we first started making the compositions, um, yeah, I think we just tried to, we, we were jamming and um, a lot of the music that came out was um, quite like ambient and min- minimal based. And um, yeah, I think we just tried to like hold back on certain things because didn't we didn't want the, the music to sort of overpower the experience of, of seeing the visuals. Um, it sort of had to be like a complimentary experience. Um, and, and I find that just like walking around and looking at the other musicians that have been performing at the festival, like I think they've sort of, a lot of the artists have taken that sort of approach as well. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because it's already this. It's like an existing artwork that you're responding to. So you don't. It's like I don't know. Didn't feel right to add a whole other narrative voice mm. to that. And even like the way that voice is used. I use my voice in some of our stuff, but f- like for me, it's a different kind of approach because I'm just thinking more textual and I don't really say any words or like you know maybe some it's, in the background it's more like a, a t- an yeah. instrument like a textual layer I think it's like evoking a mood but it's not yeah. not yeah not like too intrusive or yeah not yeah. telling people what to think basically just kind of suggesting a mood pretty strongly I guess but like um you know you could interpret that like uh <laughs> I just had a funny memory about someone when um, our friend was DJing the other day coming up and playing this song that I really liked and she was like and we were like oh this song's great and she's like sounds like I'm at a funeral and we're like okay well that sounds like a pretty cool funeral but anyway the point being that people interpret music differently so what we, we interpret is being like yeah. you know, who knows how some people interpret it um, I think my family members last night were a little bit like Surprised, maybe, by by how held back and restrained. Probably they've only seen me in the context of being a front person in a band and in wildly different projects. So it's probably a bit like different for them. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's, we're trying to make complementary music, so it is different for this. For this, though, I think it's even different. One step different again in terms of we're making music for many kinds of art experiences people viewing art whereas maybe a film score is you're on that narrative trajectory so you're kind of trying to respond to what the main character's mood might be like you've got a bit more of a directive there in that sense like of this dialogue you don't make something that says intrusive so yeah I think that the responding to artworks is kind of a bit of a new thing yeah and and also with this last exhibition I think um, because the the Hermitage exhibition is um like each room is a different art movement and it's like quite a big thing to kind of like how do I represent like symbolism and you know it's like really broad like you know huge movements and yeah trying to represent that in a musical way without coming across too like I don't know I don't know to be too literal or you know yeah um, so I, I think with some things it was pretty like with impressionism was I felt like it was quite easy to kind of um, come come up with the music for that room because um, yeah I think we already had like a few references like just referencing like the impressionist classical music and mm-hmm. just making really sort of floaty free-forming things um, but yeah there's, there were other rooms in that exhibition like the it was like School of Paris um, yeah. which was we were not sure or well, we're like there was this point where a lot of the different kind of movements kind of were overlapping came together and, yeah yeah we're just like oh, okay how do we hmm. yeah so it sounded a bit like there was a moment where Corinne took it in like a Studio Ghibli kind of what we did is like we yeah we came up with the music for like you know the really core movement so I think that's there was like the impressionistic uh, impressionism gallery symbolism and then what was the other one abstraction. abstraction that that was quite easy I think to yeah. just sort of respond to respond that. to that and then with school of Paris because that was the kind of music the 
those different movements colliding. Um, I don't know we took it in a literal way, but we just made a composition that kind of took bits from all from the other compositions and yeah. kind of all comped it together. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think also we'd had that whole other exhibition that was Impressionist to kind of educate ourselves about about that movement. So it was kind of like we went into that very confidently because we're like, oh, we know how to. And I think I, I probably felt more like familiar with that because maybe, yeah, with, with the actual art, the, the genre itself. Um, whereas some of the other art movements, I was like, you know, looking around and seeing such kind of, I don't know, artists that I, I was like, I could never, um, I don't know, I was trying to get into that headspace, like how, how do you actually come up with that kind of response, like to, um, yeah, I don't know, it's just like, a, it's really interesting to try and un understand and how, will, how will, we, will we reflect that in, in the music, so some of it was a little challenging at times, I guess, mm -hmm. like, well, like, does this sound... Is this uh, yeah, yeah. Is, this, is this what it would sound like? But we got feedback from um, the curators, like who are fresh ears, and we saw what they responded to too, and we mm. kind of put it on them at that point when it got, became too hard. Remember, we were like, which ones are out of this suite of tracks? Do you feel? And they were kind of like placing them in the in the different rooms as yeah. how they felt, and so that was kind so of so they cool. were kind of responding to the yeah. music that yeah collection of music that we'd made and sort of helping to curate it but which is kind of fun it's kind of like it's it's good to have like non-musical people mm. on a project too because you get a real mm, yeah. you get a yeah. real emotional response then mm. and yeah. yeah knowing like with any working with any visuals um knowing that like the i guess in this case in particular the focus is is on the artwork um mm. yeah i think you've got a lot of scope to uh play with stuff in a sort of very subtle subliminal sort of way like it's um yeah compared to like listening to sound um yeah uh, isolated uh yeah there's just uh it's there's, there's a lot of freedom to um i guess manipulate people's mood and and, and response or attempt to um with it being fairly like a little off radar um yeah I, that was a yeah. really fun part of it yeah yeah. It's kind of like, um, I, I, yeah, there's some some moods that were quite dark. We wanted to make it quite dark and we're like, is this too dark? But then the response from the curators and producers at the gallery were like, no, 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 that's, that's the right direction. <laughs> I that's think the, the collector's the whole, room, remember? Yeah, there was, yeah, so for the collector's room. Yeah, I came up with like this piano melody that sounded like a little bit, it was very minimal, but yeah, it sounded a bit ominous and yeah, quite ominous. like, mm, maybe this is a bit too dark. And you know, <laughs> it's, you know, these, these guys were like pioneers and it's, it's meant to be kind of very like, you know, forward thinking we're making this like really ominous kind of soundtrack, but the curators seem to like it. And I yeah. think they liked that it was just, because in this particular room, it's just a, like one, Portrait. Um, portrait yeah. is it Shuken? Shuken, Shuken? Yeah. So I think, it, yeah, maybe it's a nice like change just going in there and like yeah. having this solitary moment. And the, cu <laughs> the curatorial narration as well at that point kind of tells you about how some of the artists like Matisse didn't get to reconnect with their actual artworks for many, many years because once the collectors had them in their collection and if they weren't displayed anywhere, they were like just removed from their artworks for the lifetime yeah for the lifetime of the work I don't know it's kind of a weird thought when you're a musician and you make music and you pretty much can always mm. 
whether you like to or not, you can always go back and hear what you did, what you, mm, yeah. <laughs> what you made. Yeah. Yeah. It exists somewhere. If, it, if it, mm. you made it during the wave of the internet, it's going to be somewhere. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, painting it only exists in one location. Mm. Mm. So uh, you said that the handheld devices mm. that art processors use, that they're location specific. Mm -hmm. um, you guys have all worked in a lot of uh, kind of linear art forms like music mm. and film mm. has to be experienced in one particular way you're given away what's it like creating artwork where an audience can direct themselves yeah good question yeah, no, it's fun i think i think we had a lot of fun with that particularly in the um the other exhibition that we worked on had a few more layers to it, the John Russell Impressionist exhibition, because we did consider the exit and entry points of the tracks, and they're really long, so they're like, well, not really long, but they're like 10, 10 minute, more 10 minute pieces, where the Hermitage was six minutes, we were just going off of, so we made a background track for each of the gallery rooms, and as you walk through, it'll kind of seamlessly crossfade into the, the next room. Cool. And so, but the, but the shift actually, the feedback from the audience was that sometimes the music shifting in mood or tone helped them understand that the curatorial themes had changed so that they were looking mm. at the, the works differently because they're like, oh, so you actually still have a bit of control in that you're still controlling still the mood for where they are, mm. even though they might experience it in a different order. Mm. But the other one, we had um, a sound effects layer too that they activated, which was actually really cool. Um, it would be great to roll, to do that on a much bigger space or in, in, a, in a different kind of exhibition too. But so, for example, there was one room where you walk in and it's just um, a curved wall of seascapes. This is in the John Russell exhibition. And so when you walked in there, the music shifted, but then you would also hear this other layer of a sound effect. If you walked really close to the paintings, you would hear oh, the waves like crashing cool. and it'd match what you'd see. Yeah, yeah. And we found that, um, so we had that layer. And then if you go up to a work, you can get a specific curatorial narration if you're standing in front of it, or you can decide to tap and listen to a voice reading a letter between the artists or telling you about the work. But um, we found that in that context, it really worked with on plein air painting which is like when people paint outside because you could use the exterior sound effects but when we had like interior sounds like do you remember the, mm. there was a chair creaking we had like this cozy room sound for this environment and we're like cozy room sound does not work here it's just like creepy actually <laughs> where is that chair we removed some of those sounds that sound effects that didn't work but the hermitage um masters of modern art guide was purely curatorial narration and music only um they just wanted to be a bit cleaner and also there's how i don't know how we would have made sound effects for that yeah it's yeah. just like john russell's probably easier because just one artist well narrow, and, yeah. yeah and it's mm. going to different it's about his life trajectory yeah. so you could tell the story through yeah. sound effects a bit more but mm -hmm. i mean i don't know what sound effects we would have done anyway for <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was yeah yeah. Yeah, and no, it's it's and it's um you of course don't know how long people are gonna spend in mm, any yeah. given space. And so we're sort of making these pieces that are like six to ten minutes long in duration and fairly <laughs> patient, slowly evolving sort of tracks and um the kind of stuff that you like perhaps usually you there'd be um 
an expectation that the person listening would, would really sit with it. But yeah, you can't, yeah, certainly can't control mm. for someone just whizzing through yeah. and hearing yeah. just tiny fragments yeah. of yeah. those pieces um, and how that might sort of play out when the, mm. those transitions happen. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think like we're probably fortunate that the the uh, the curation of the of the gallery um, had these really distinct uh, periods in art and and um, themes, and subsequently, like the uh, transitions could be like fairly uh, dramatic, or, or like you could have these sort of um, these uh, contrasts that were uh, I guess like yeah it could be could be um, yeah it could the sounds could be very contrasting from space to space and would still fit with that experience they didn't necessarily need to be um, yeah super smooth and, and complimentary mm. yeah because Dean Hurley said he was trying to compose for the exhibition as a whole mm. um, but were you guys more aiming sounds like you were aiming for a bit more specific than that. Yeah, it was definitely yeah, yeah. more room, room yeah. specific. More room specific. Yeah. And, and to kind of... Did it ever get down to artwork specific? Yeah. Um, yeah, in the... Yes, because we had the curatorial narration, we did also, like, just create a lot of work for ourselves and having, like, different music underscoring each of those curatorial narrations. So in each room in the Masters of Modern Art exhibition, there's, like, around two to three narrative like one to two minute audio from the curator and um Jackie Dunn was the curator and so we kind of like listened to that and then kind of tried to like use ideas from some of the uh, from the room specific music to just play even more minimal kind of around that I think actually we ended up even just listening to the the curatorial text and just play like responding directly because I think sometimes we found that we'd make something that we thought would fit and then we're like oh wait this is a very like positive kind of message and we're making this like really sad kind of it became more about uh finding a way to score the pre-existing curatorial voice and text and, Mm. and sort of like fitting in with the the pace and the, the mm. mood of that. Um, mm. And then it would be, yeah, discussed. Sometimes, like, although it was triggered by a key artwork, um, it might just be an opportunity for the curator to um, give some insight into the artist uh, that that might not be totally specific to that particular piece of work. So, yeah, um, yeah there was a kind of combination of, like, the, the uh, a, a person... Um, visiting the gallery might be standing looking at this particular Kandinsky piece but they might be getting um, like a, a insight into um, the uh, the period in time um, historically uh, and yeah sort of like abstraction um, far more broadly uh, yeah so it was um it wasn't always like as yeah sort of specific as just we're responding to just this mm-hmm. this um, particular piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not trying to compete with that the artwork in that way mm-hmm. at all. But um, I think yeah I think that and the idea of having music under to underscore the talking is just to make it more listenable, make it more continuous. So it's like doesn't just jerk you out of the experience mm-hmm. and then you just hear a voice and you're like. You know, it's mm. t- hopefully trying to encourage people to 
listen a bit more because mm. like yeah hopefully it's, I mean that's not to say it's not you can't listen to um, audio like narration without music but because there is music in the rest of the experience just wanted to keep it kind of continuous mm. yeah connected yeah what did um Dean because we found it difficult just to compose for like a, a specific room that might be looking at one kind of period of um 20th century art um yeah the thought of like composing for, for a whole an entire like exhibition yeah. Yeah. yeah he um is his work gonna he said it's gonna be hung like throughout the entire gallery or yeah, something. yeah yeah we were hear, hearing it last last yeah. night yeah right. but um i mean yeah to to approach yeah. something like that yeah it's um mm. yeah uh you kind of went past it a bit earlier um how response to art can be a really personal thing and that's what you guys are trying to do trying to create a track that's a response to art like uh have you guys found it easy to gel your experiences together and be on the same page with that yeah i think it was like you know initially there's always going to be a bit of a back and forth and sort of like negotiating and figuring out what you know how how should we represent this but um i think like uh, yeah, you most think? of the time we were pretty we were pretty on the same page, and I think we just understood like the functionality yeah. of the music. So yeah. no one was gonna make you know some power drone piece to like you know, put behind a narrative. Like it's you know some some of it was actually just really practical kind of based. Um, but yeah, I think musically, um, just through all of our collaborations through the year and just being able to jam a lot. Um, once we got to composing like the last ab- exhibition especially it came I feel like it came together quite fluidly mm. yeah mm. maybe some of that's just an acceptance as well of like different, <laughs> different responses to yeah like that like what you're saying that you people are going to have yeah a, a sort of unique response to a particular piece of art and a lot of the compositions that we made um, yeah came from uh, were built around in like uh, these sort of initial improvisations in some cases like they were the the sort of improvisations that we did in yeah response to a particular gallery um and so i think like yeah like we, we're probably responding uniquely but also um and hopefully like listening to each other as well and maybe some of the interesting parts and ideas come from that that sort of contrast in like the way we respond to something like sometimes I feel like um, with these performances as well which are kind of semi-improvised uh, live iterations of the of the work um, we might be kind of like doing uh, yeah interpreting something in, in these different ways uh, and those sounds can be kind of contrasting um, in their just kind of character but like that's sort of ultimately what is is interesting about it mm. yeah yeah i do mean like sometimes there's tension between yeah. sounds but I, I think it's more about just like the, how how the parts like fit like yeah mm. yeah mm. yeah i think it's yeah because it's kind of a bit like having a conversation as well through the mm. music but you can also be a bit more well when you're doing it live i think I'm probably personally anyway doing a bit more in some areas, maybe less in others, because I'm also aware that it's a performance. Um, but yeah, and people are watching. Basically, the the amount of people that were watching last night was kind of changed my 
understanding of like I'm curious as to how everyone found it in the audience because um yeah they were really quite attentive <laughs> but like it's very subtle yeah. movements yeah. that are happening so it's kind of mm. and like a lot of gear so it might not be immediately obvious where the sound sources are coming from so I don't know <laughs> if that was like interesting I mean, to watch or <laughs> yeah no, I mean because it's, 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 the music was yeah like written for people to wander, wander around, around. Yeah. Yeah. be distracted so, yeah. yeah that's what I mean like, I'm quite, <laughs> I kind of changed some, I kind of did more in some vocal stuff a bit more just just to so that they could connect and say, oh that's what that sounds like uh, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah. like because sometimes when you it can be disorienting sometimes if you're watching these kind of ambient performances and you're like what are they doing <laughs> it's just about patience though yeah you know yeah. like some people close their eyes though that's yeah. really nice and just enjoying yeah. the sounds the sounds that are yeah. coming out but yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about as a performance because, yeah, we like Casey said, we really did make it for people wandering around and it not being the main mm. yeah, yeah. visual focus. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, stop looking at us. No. Yeah, it was really, yeah. I, yeah, I'm curious if there was anyone in the audience that actually was sort of looking at the paintings, yeah. <laughs> watching yeah. us and looking at the paintings. Because mm. that, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I look forward to seeing it tomorrow night. Mm. I'll see you guys there. I have to wrap it up now, unfortunately, but thank you so much oh, for joining thanks. me. Thank you. you guys. Thank you. It was fabulous. Thanks again to Corinne, Becky, and Casey for taking the time to be interviewed and the Art Gallery of New South Wales for facilitating it. The Masters of Modern Art exhibition is on until March the 3rd, so if you still haven't seen it, you've got a couple of weeks left to go check it out and listen to the audiovisual guides that they composed for. Thanks to Jean-David Legoulon for the intro music and sound design, and to Lily Ford for stills. If you've been liking the show, please follow our Facebook and Instagram, which you can find by searching Sound Perspective Podcast on those sites, I'd also love to hear some feedback, so shoot me an email on contact at soundperspectivepodcast.com and leave a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear what you think. I'm going to take us out with a couple of tunes. Uh, here's Infinity Street by Becky Sui Chen, and after that I'll be playing Mexico, an absolutely gorgeous song by Sleep Decade, one of several bands that Casey Hartnett is involved in. Enjoy.
Darkness be our blame. 